think through and you come in contact and interact with God's Word and, and what it uh, says about suffering, as a pastor you find that people in the congregation tend to go through more suffering. In my own life, you, you see things come up and you realize that the Lord wants us to put into practice what we're learning. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. 1 John 3, 13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. John 15, 18, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. We should not be surprised when we go through suffering in this life because of Christ Jesus. And you suffer, right? We may be, it may be suffering from an overt group, certain places in the world. There are governments that are opposed to Christians. There are groups that are opposed to Christianity and anyone who claims the name of Christ. Right? There may be an individual. Right? We don't have to worry about necessarily a government that we have to take issue with. But for us, it may be individuals or even small groups of people that don't like Christ. They don't like us because we claim the name of Christ. We claim exclusivity of truth. Tell people that there is only one way to heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord, and they don't like that. And so when we think about suffering, suffering may take the form of slander, of gossip, of outright lies spoken about you. David speaks often about this in the psalm. He brings his, his experience to the psalms, and we can read about how he was slandered because of his faith in the Lord. You see, people hate the lights, and they love the darkness. John chapter 3, verse 20 says, because they love their sin. And when the light is bright around them, it exposes their sin. It exposes who they really are. And that's what we are, brethren. We're the salt and the light. We reflect the light of Jesus in a dark and corrupt world. And so when you're faced with trouble in this life because you are a Christian, do not be surprised. Now, James is addressing particular believers here in John, uh, James chapter 5 who are going through great trouble. They're facing having their wages stolen. They're weak, they're helpless, they're powerless to resist the ungodly rich and powerful in this world. You see, they also have to face even death in James chapter 5, verse 6. It says, you have condemned, and he's speaking to the ungodly rich, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man and he does not resist you. And they've even had their family members, church members, face death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Either through their wages being stolen and them not having enough food to feed their families or through an unjust justice system. We have to remember that Christ has called us 
to non-resistance. James says that you put the righteous man to death, but he does not resist you. Jesus says, but blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Look, brethren, one thing that you need to understand that James wants you to understand is that God loves you and He doesn't want you to face the trials of life without help. So often we think of the, our circumstances, we become internally focused, self-focused, and that can lead to, to the great depression. As we think about our circumstances and we say to ourselves, woe is me. But Christ has not desired and does not desire for us to face these trials alone. We have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who seals us, who gives us the help we need to endure. If you ever read Fox's book of martyrs and you read of the martyrs of the Christian faith, do you think they face the burnings and the trials and the crucifixions on their own? No, they were indwelt. They were filled by the Holy Spirit, empowered to endure. God has given you the Holy Spirit, but He's also given you His Word. As you, as you seek to live your life, you have God's Word that, that gives you the knowledge of God, knowledge of His ways, His will for your life. What an encouragement it is for us to know that, that James here, that God inspired James to write this epistle, this letter to these believers, and we have this as Scripture thousands of years later. So what was an encouragement to those believers and an encouragement to believers over the last 2,000 years can be an encouragement to us today as we deal, as we endure sufferings. Now, last week we talked a little bit, we're in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, and we talked a little bit about how to endure suffering. That was part one. This is part two. Because James ultimately gives four principles, four instructions to help us to be able to endure trials, to endure sufferings that are definitely coming upon us in varying degrees throughout our life. Now, last week we talked about being patient or, or waiting on the Lord and how we have to be patient. We have to long suffer with people. We have to, we have to endure. And we're going to face people that are hard, and that are tough, that are going to like, dislike us and even slander us and gossip about us and lie about us and hate us because of whom we represent James also says that we are to avoid strife because he knows that when the pressures of this outside world are upon us and as we're resisting the unbeliever and the ungodly in this world, that we have a tendency to take it out upon others. He says in verse 9, do not complain, brethren, against one another. Because we, when we take those pressures and those trials, we take it out on people close to us. We complain and we grumble. We cause dissension and strife because we're, we're dissatisfied with it. And we're frustrated over our situation. And we take it out upon those that are closest to us, our friends, our church family. And we cause dissension and strife. But James reminds us, he says, look, brethren, 
Do not complain, but know that the judge is standing right at the door, that all that we do in this life as Christians will be examined by Christ. There will be accountability. James's point is don't lose your reward. Don't go through all that tough time and trial and suffering as you endure the slander, the gossip, the hate of this world, but then sin against your fellow believers. As you, as you are frustrated and dissatisfied with your circumstances. Because there's going to be accountability when we stand before the Lord. There'll be rewards for faithfulness, for enduring your circumstances. And so when we think about this section, we're going to be looking at the further two points today. We're going to be looking at Looking to godly examples, James's further instruction. And he also instructs us to remember God's nature. So all four principles together are wait for the Lord, avoid strife, look to godly examples, and remember God's nature. So let's go ahead and look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. I'm going to read the whole section just so you can get the idea of the context. Verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, and we count those blessed who endured. And you have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now James says in verses 10 and 11, he lays out the last two instructions, and the first of which is look to godly examples, and he says... Verse 10, as an example, brethren. Now, he lays out what an example. An example is a, 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 it's a model to spur you to further action. It's something you can imitate. It's a pattern of life. William Barclay calls it a, a sketch plan for your life like an architectural drawing, a model that, that you can follow, that a builder would follow. So James says the prophets in the Old Testament and for us even in the New are examples. We have godly examples. When we, when we are under pressure, we can know that there are people that have been through similar, if not worse, things than we have and we are going through. And James, by the way, it doesn't come across in that well in the in the English translation, when he says, as an example, he basically says, take this example. He says, it's a command to, to look to these examples of the faith when you're going through trials. Right? It's more than a suggestion. It's instruction. It doesn't quite come across as strongly when they translated it into English. We also have other other examples in Scripture, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when speaking about the Israelites and their wickedness, he says, now these things have happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also crave. So you have good examples in Scripture, 
and you have bad examples. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that now these things happen to them as an example, and they were written down for our instruction, right? Have you ever wondered why there, there's so much in the Old Testament about the Israelites continued spiraling up and down, you know, they'd be unfaithful, they'd repent, God would send, God, excuse me, they'd be unfaithful, God would send a prophet, they would repent, and it'd be an endless kind of, almost endless cycle. We're going to see that downward spiral, that downward cycle as we begin going through the book of Judges and the home groups in a few weeks. You see, those are examples for us. But what are they examples of? James says in verse 10, they're examples of suffering and patience. So the idea here, suffering is, is a katapia for Jordan. It's evil suffering. It's to suffer from outside pressure. I like the King James word here, affliction. Right? You, you can imagine and you've read of the Old Testament prophets and, and you've read about the affliction that they've gone through in their lives. We read through the book of Acts and we see the affliction of the apostles. We see the the affliction, the outside pressure. I like to think of it as a a sponge. You know, you clean your sink with a sponge and it's full of water. Well, you come along and what do you do? You, You squeeze that sponge. You squeeze out all the water, right? Well, that's, that's outside pressure in your life. God is allowing those circumstances and bringing those cir- circumstances into your life to squeeze out all things in your life to unimportant, to show you what really matters, right? You, we think about our financial situation and we, we're all, we all think, oh, we can much better shape. But have you ever been really squeezed so you don't have hardly anything and you're, and you're really living paycheck to paycheck? And I can tell you, I have in seminary, Right where you're, you're, you're hoping to have a loaf of bread and some peanut butter, or Vegemite here in Australia. Right? You, you've been squeezed. But you really see in those times, wait a minute, all that stuff I thought I needed, I didn't really need. And you know what? I can live off of so much less. But we're squeezed. It's an it's a outside pressure. And that outside pressure, that evil comes upon you in many different forms. Specifically, James here is talking about persecution for the name of Christ, but we're also squeezed by this world. It's interesting that Peter chose Romans 8 because it says that the world we live in groans in the corruption. The sinfulness of Adam and Eve influenced everything, every aspect of the creation that we live in. Hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, natural disasters are all part of the fact that this world we live in is utterly corrupt and sinful. Right? Coronavirus, diseases are part of the corrupt world. Right? We suffer because we live in a sinful, corrupt world. Praise be to God that He gives common grace, that He restrains sin. He restrains evil. You know, in Colossians, that Christ sustains this world. Without His sustaining power, this world will be even more corrupt. In fact, 2 Thessalonians says that when the church is raptured, that God will remove the restraining agent and He will give men over to a totality of evil and wickedness that we have never can imagine and we haven't imagined. Right? We look at the time of the book of Revelation and we think about the tribulation period and its, and its, and its great 
trials and the great wrath and the fact that all these, these amazing supernatural events are taking place. But an aspect of the tribulation is that there's no restraining agent for sin. Men are wicked. They're so wicked and defiant that God sends an angel in one part, particular part of Revelation. The angel is literally shouting the gospel and the whole world can hear it and they shake their fist at God's steel. So we live in a corrupt world, but praise be to God that He restrains evil and He still gives us His common grace. I believe we see God's common grace to everyone in the form of modern medicine. The farther we get away from the fall, the more our, our genetic purity declines, the more sickness, more cancers, the more things that you believe you find in the human body, but God has given the grace gift of modern medicine to help us. So you have that outside pressure from, from just the world we live in, but also the fact that you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the prophets faced that same pressure, that same affliction. And they also faced it with patience. The word there again is long-suffering. If you remember from last week, it's, it's how you respond to those outside pressures and afflictions. It's patience. It's, it's suffering long with people. Instead of responding to the outside pressure with, with resentment and hatred and anger, you're responding by controlling your passions, by holding your feelings in check, by focusing your emotions on the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of focusing on the wrongs that were committed against you, you focus on the wrongs that were committed against Jesus Christ in your, sp in your stead, in your place. I like the way... Acts 5 speaks about Peter and James and says in Acts 5, after they had been flogged by the Sanhedrin and they were commanded not to preach again in the name of Christ, which they ignored, but it says, therefore, in verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering dishonor for Christ's name. You are going to suffer in this life, brethren. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus spoke about, spoke to his disciples, and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you, and insult you, and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. You see, you're no different from the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That's James's point. They faced suffering, and they faced it with great patience and they faced that suffering because they dared to speak out the truth they obeyed god and followed his will in their context god calls us to what obey his will follow his word in our contexts in our lives they're an example to us as i was thinking about these prophets and i was thinking about how they did it. 
And they did it because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, if you remember from about a year and a half ago, went through Colossians. Paul prays for those Colossians. He prays for these people. He doesn't know the Colossian church. And he prays for them in verses 9 through 11. And he prays for them and he says, Since the day that we've heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and understanding. So he prays that they would understand God's will. And then he prays that they would walk, in verse 10, in a manner worthy of the Lord, trying to please Him in all things. And, they walk, and as they walk in worthy, he prays that they would bear fruits and every good thing, and that they would increase in the knowledge of God. The word there for knowledge is, is Greek for experiential knowledge. Not just intellectual book smarts. That they would grow in their relationship, their communion with God. And then he prays this, verse 11. That they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Or literally in the Greek it says empowered with all power. Or strengthened with all strength. How are they strengthened? How are they empowered? It's the Holy Spirit. But this is the reason he wants them to be strong. So that they would attain steadfastness, endurance, and patience. Right? Patience. Right? Paul's praying for these believers he doesn't know that they would understand God's word and his will, that they would walk worthy of his calling, and that they would be strengthened with all power so that they would endure. And they would endure with great patience. It's hard. It's impossible. It's impossible in our own strength. The reason we get so discouraged so often in trials and tribulations is we we try to face those things in our own strength. We try to do it by ourselves rather than, than turning to God. Pray, brethren. Ask God to help you, to strengthen you, to help you have the right attitude in trials, to respond properly. Well, we, we have God's Word. That's why we have James chapter 1 speaking about how the purpose of trials and enduring trials. We have James chapter 5 thinking about patience and, and suffering. God's helping you. And He helps you even more through His Spirit. But James says, look, he says, an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I started thinking about just a few prophets. We could spend weeks on the prophets and their suffering and their patience. And I started thinking of just three. They were contemporaries of each other. Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah. We have three big books, right, in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Daniel, and Babel, and, and excuse me, and Jeremiah. All three were alive when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah, according to God's word, in 606 B.C., and he took Daniel and Ezekiel with him. Daniel was in the palace, and Ezekiel was in the country. Jeremiah was back in Jerusalem, and he called all three at the same time, and they all three were speaking, and they all three suffered on account of the Lord. Ezekiel, when he looked, when God called him, Ezekiel was faithful to do God's will, and he served God for 22 years. 
He called Ezekiel to suffer so that he could show the Jewish captives how evil their sin really was and why God was just in that he was going to destroy Jerusalem. And we see Ezekiel leading up to Ezekiel chapter 33. Everything up to chapter 33 is a a warning, is helping the Israelites that are the Judites that are in Babylon understand their sinfulness and why God is just. And then from Ezekiel 33 onward, after the destruction of Jerusalem, we see hope. But Ezekiel suffered something major. Ezekiel suffered the loss of his loved one, of his wife, for the name of the Lord. God said, I'm going to take your wife and you are not going to be allowed to mourn for her or take any comfort from that time because I want the Israelites to look at you and say, why is this happening? And they will understand that that's how they should respond to the destruction of Jerusalem. It's that serious an issue to God that he suffered the loss of his wife. We read in Daniel, and many of you are familiar with Daniel and how there were plots to remove him and he faced the the lion's den, but Daniel actually endured three different kings. Jewish tradition says that he was actually killed by Haman of Esther fame, that Haman actually took Daniel's position after, after scheming to have him executed. See, Daniel suffered much for the sake of the Lord. And many of you know Jeremiah, who's called the weeping prophet. He served the Lord for 39 years and was called by God as a teenager. Imagine in your teenage years, God calls you to be a prophet, to speak the word of God in the midst of a perverse and corrupt generation, to actually speak against the priests, the older men that had, had, quote-unquote, served the Lord for many years, that were involved in the temple Jeremiah preached against sin and idolatry, and even his own family resisted him. He was actually beaten by the priest, and he was put in stocks for a day. He was in constant conflict with false prophets, not only of the different idols, but false prophets, even from from those who claimed to be from God himself. Imagine preaching the Word of God and warning the people of the imminent destruction because of their sin, and you'd have a multitude of prophets, prophets, excuse me, and prophetesses saying that you're crazy, that no, God's not going to do that, contradicting your message. You reckon he would feel a little hopeless at times, sad? Pashar the priest conspired with the king's officials to get him executed, and they, they threw him in a cistern where he sank up to sank in the mud up to his armpits. The idea was. He would starve to death and they could wash their hands and say, well, we didn't kill him. He was actually rescued by a a Gentile, Cushite woman. And he remained in prison until the Babylonians captured and destroyed Jerusalem. And Babylonians actually treated him with kindness. But then he was taken by Johanan, a leader in the Judean army, to Egypt against his will as he was warning even them then at the end of his life, don't go to Egypt. God says, don't do this. And they ignored him. And they took him and a remnant went into Egypt. And God said, that's where you're going to die. In the midst of all that trouble, we have Jeremiah's famous words and lamentations. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. So the prophets, they suffered. They endured. See, the Israelites themselves were the enemy of God often. As a people of God, they rejected Him, and they opposed and they killed God's prophets. Jesus actually lamented this fact in Luke 13. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not have it. Romans 15, 4 says that whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Brethren, when you're going through trials and tribulations and the outside pressures upon you, look to the examples of Scripture. When you think you're suffering a whole lot, go back and read what some of the prophets suffered. Those who, who sought to do the, God's will in their particular lives, in their particular context. They're godly examples for us. Think about the Apostle Paul and he says, I've learned to be content That famous passage, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about playing sports and swimming, surfing. It's about enduring trials. So next time you quote that verse, remember it when you're you're facing trials and suffering. That you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Paul says, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. And then he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, at the end of his life, one of the last books of the Old Testament, or sorry, New Testament, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and suffering, such as happened to me at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord has rescued me. Apostle Paul endured much. And then he died. He was beheaded, church history says. Peter was crucified upside down after his wife was killed. You see, we have examples in Scripture of those who endured to the end. Hebrews 11 is a great passage. It's the hall of faith. Hebrews 11 says that they did not receive what was promised, but they looked ahead. Brethren, we look to godly examples, right? We, we see the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. But we also remember God's nature. Look at verse 11. We count those blessed who endure, and you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, and the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. By the way, we count the prophets blessed, right? We think of their names. We, we rever- revere them. We name our kids after the prophets, right? Like Malachi, Jordan in the back, right? They're honored. They're blessed. How many Jeremiah's do you know? I know a few. How many Daniel's, David's, Paul's, Peter's? You think that's a coincidence, right? We honor those men. We honor their lives. We count them blessed. 
There's no Chad, sorry. There is Nebuchadnezzar, by the way. But we also remember God's nature. You have heard of the endurance of Job and seen the outcome. He's talking about Scripture, right? They would have read the Old Testament. In fact, this is the only passage in Scripture in the New Testament where Job is mentioned. They would have read Job. They would have read, he says, you've heard and seen. He's talking about their interaction with Scripture. They're, they're seeing who, who God is and His attributes and His character and His will and His works. As they're, they're, they're reading about God's dealings with Job. We can know that as we read the Old Testament, well, oftentimes as Christians, we read the new and we don't read the old. We miss out on so much. But like I said, Paul says is that it's written for, as an example for our instruction. We read Job, and, and you know what? You can read Job, and you can see a real person, right? When you're going through trials, you see Job's what? Job's, Job's questioning of God. Job's wondering what's going on in his, in his conversations to God back and forth. But even in all those conversations, he does not what? He does not give up on his faith. That's why I love reading the Psalms. The Psalms are all about experience, and they take us in our experience, and what do they do? The Psalms point us to God. So when you're going through trials, we go to Scripture because the Scriptures take us in our individual experience, and we can relate to these normal people, these normal men, women and men in Scripture who battled depression. Right? You read Elijah and his battle with depression. Then you read their, their joy and their low times. And you can see how they endured because they kept looking towards God. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What? So that the man of God may be complete or mature, equipped for every good work. We have the Old Testament and the New Now, Job was a righteous man. He lived by faith. In fact, Ezekiel actually mentions Job. Ezekiel 14, 14, and he says, he says, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness, they could only deliver themselves. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And he says, even though the, if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in the middle of Jerusalem, I still wouldn't spare the city. They would deliver themselves. Because God doesn't destroy the righteous with the unrighteous like Lot. He would pull them out of that city, but he still would destroy the city. That's what Ezekiel's point is. Or you see Job's response to his wife. Any of you have heard this before? Job's wife says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Right? He's basically saying, are you still holding fast your faith? She says, curse God and die. But Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept what? Adversity. By the way, guys, that's not a good response for your wife when she tells you to do something. But in Job's case, it was because she was being foolish. Right? She was telling him to deny God. And just die. Get it over with you. You suffered too much. You suffered so much, just go to heaven. Just die. Job says, look, shall I accept good things from God? We often praise God. In fact, we also have a time of sharing. And even during a prayer meeting, we talk about what God has done and we, we praise Him. 
how often do we praise Him for trials? Whoa, right? That's tough. Right? We, we don't think of it that way, that God has a purpose and a plan even in our trials. It's hard. But we know that what? God is good. James says our, our trials have a purpose in James chapter 1. They're, they're to what? They're, they're to help us to endure this world, to help us to be mature in Christ, to show us the things we really need and what's really important. What's really important is God Himself. If everything was stripped away, what are you left with? God. Right? If you lost everything, what is still there? God. Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James says, remember God's dealings. Remember His, his nature. Job's struggles were recorded for us. He, he endured. The word there is steadfast. It's the same one as, as James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And he, James is talking about endure trials. Job endured. John Bunyan has said, God has appointed who shall suffer. Suffering comes not by chance or by the will of man, but by the will and appointment of God. And we see the outcomes. James says, look, look at the outcome of the Lord's dealings in verse 11. What's the outcome of Job? Right? There's great blessing at the end. Now, whether we receive great blessing in this life or the next, we know that there's great blessing. But there's also Job's faith was vindicated at the end. It was shown to be true. It refuted Satan's slander. And ultimately, Job's faith was strengthened at the end of the book. That's the point of trials, to strengthen our faith. You see, Job was rewarded. And now, he was rewarded physically. You read, he, the things he received at the end were double what he had at the beginning. Now, whether God chooses after trials in this life to reward us in that uh, material way, it's up to God. But we know for a fact that we have an inheritance reserved in heaven for us, protected by the power of God. 1 Peter chapter 1. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Trusting God, God never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of His children. He never allows Satan, nor circumstances, nor any ill-intending person to afflict us unless He uses that affliction for our good. God never wastes pain. He always causes it to work together for our ultimate good, the good of conforming us more to the likeness of His Son. Had a privilege of meeting Jerry Bridgers before he passed. It was an 80-year-old man that worked with college students all his life. He was involved in college and student ministries at 80 years old because he looked at each successive group, each successive generation as the key to the future of the next. And he wanted them to understand the gospel and how to live for the Lord. When we look at the Lord's dealings, as James says, we, we look at trials and we see that the trials are brought in our life for our good. God is sovereign over those times. When we say, oh God, you're sovereign, and I, I asked all these things, you know, to work out situations in my life for my good, we need to know that trials are an aspect of that. It's always dangerous when I hear people pray for patience. Lord, help me to have patience. I'm like, well, let me run over here and hide a little bit because if you're going to pray for endurance, 
How do you have endurance? Through trials. See, now you're going to be thinking twice about praying for that in the future, right? When we look at the Lord's dealings, we got to be able to say what Job said. Can we not accept good from God as well as adversity? And James says, look, we've seen the Lord's dealings, and this is the key. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Well, what is, what is compassion or, or full of compassion? Literally in the Greek, and this is an interesting word picture, it means many-boweled. Because the Greeks looked at the bowels as the seat of emotion. And so what the word is implying is that God has an endless capacity for compassion. Right? He doesn't just have one bowel to fill up that compassion. He's multi-boweled. In other words, he can, he can know exactly what you're going through, and He can have that enormous capacity for compassion that no one can match. Because God doesn't enjoy watching His people suffer. He cares for you. He loves you. The trials are for your good, but He knows your suffering. He knows what you're going through. Each individual trial, there's varieties of trials, and He knows all of those things. He's compassionate. It's a deep feeling of sharing in the sufferings of another and a desire to leave, relieve that suffering. Right? You, you can relate to people. It's the emotion involved. Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. Psalm 103. You see, God has compassion. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, Listen to this, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. God is compassionate. When we go to the doctor and we're sick, right? We want a doctor to show His compassion. Even if we, we, have, we have cancer and he goes to, you go to the doctor and, and he says, well, we've got to take you to this, this, this horrible treatment of, radi- of, of, of um, radiation or chemo and it's going to be rough. You want that doctor to show compassion as he's giving you the, the remedy for your situation. You still have to go through that, that tough times to deal with the issue, right? But God shows us compassion as we go through those trials to deal with the issue. And the issue is sin in our lives and pride in our hearts. God cares for His people. He has an infinite capacity for compassion. He knows your suffering. He knows your pain and heartache. He loves you and He sees and hears all that you're going through. Trust in Him, knowing that He is good. How is He good? Well, He's also compassion. He's also what? He's merciful. This is the result and effect of God's goodness. Psalm 119, 68, Thou art good, and thou doest good. God is good in and of Himself. And God's mercy is based off of His goodness. 
He sees God's pity. Like he has that compassion and he puts that compassion in action. And he is intentional with his mercy. By the way, his mercy implies we don't deserve it, right? Do we deserve mercy? No. We deserve wrath. We have his mercy upon us in that he saved us from our sin. And then God sees our suffering sees our situation. He has compassion upon us as we suffer, and He has mercy upon us. Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did He do? He made us alive together with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1, 3. You see, justice is getting what we deserve from God, but He instead gives us mercy. So any trial you know that you're going through, Look around you and endure knowing that there is evidence of God's mercy in your life, even in the midst of hard times. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. A few years ago, I took my wife back to where I grew up. and we, I grew up in eastern North Carolina and we went back for my, my grandmother's funeral and we went, had a few days, and I took her back, and um, she was pregnant with Addie at the time, and, and Arden was um, a little, little, a little over two, I'm trying to remember how old he was. And, and I'm showing Beth, you know, the house that I grew up, and places I used to ride my bike, and the things I used to do, and, you know, some of the things struck me. I saw the basketball goal that my dad and I had put up uh, in, uh, when I was eight years old, put it in concrete in the backyard. Right? I saw the, I saw the uh, fence, the trees overhanging the fence. I used to climb the trees, and I remember falling out of the tree one time and falling on the fence, and God in His mercy protected me, and I had a few, few injuries, and, but nothing bad. Showed my wife the area where I used to ride our bikes, and you can still see the place in the, where the concrete is, is messed up, where I hit that concrete when I was young, and I flipped over my bike, and in God's mercy, I had a couple of skint knees, and that was it. You see the place where it was a hill and a little lake where me and my buddies were foolishly walking out on this little pond. It was ice covered. And Stephen, my friend down the road, fell into the water. And God in His mercy, we were able to get him out. It's the same house that I remember having visitors after my father passed. And just seeing God's mercy. During that time of grief. You see, if we think back in our lives, each one of us can recount God's mercy to us. How many things could have been worse off if things have happened just a, a, a small sliver of a different way or, or a, a little to the left or a little to the right if I'd fallen on that fence? We look at God's mercy. Right? God's been so merciful to us. I remember how He protected me. And then I remember when he showed his greatest mercy to, to me when he saved me. When he called me out of darkness, convicted me of my sin, and he saved me. Forgave me of my sins. 
indwelt me with the Holy Spirit, called me to walk with Him. What great mercy. God has shown you great mercy. Know that God's mercy and His compassion are infinite. Lamentations 3, but this I call to mind and therefore have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to the end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Praise God that he gives us his instruction from his word. Praise God that his word draws our attention to his character, his nature. Brethren, if you're suffering this morning, know that first of all, you're to wait for the Lord. Be patient. You're to avoid strife, taking out your frustrations and your anger and discontentment upon others. Brethren, you're to look to godly examples. These things have been written for our instruction so that we might have hope. And we're to remember God's nature. Remember His goodness, His love. How merciful has He been to you? How merciful has He been to us? Remember God's nature. This is how you endure suffering. You draw your attention back to the character, works, and will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, first of all. We thank you, Lord, that these things have been written for our instruction, that we might have hope, that even though we suffer, we look toward a day when there will be no suffering, no pain, no heartache, no evil and sin that we face. Lord, we long for the day when you return, our Lord Jesus. We long for the day looking forward to eternity in your presence. Oh, how merciful you are to us. We can look back in our lives and we see your great mercy and we see most of all your mercy in our salvation through Jesus Christ. It wasn't of our own works and desires, but you saved us. You called us to yourself. You convicted us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment that upon us and gave us hope. You cleanse us from righteousness, you forgive us our sin, you united us together in the body of Christ. Lord, I pray for endurance, I pray for patience for each and every one of us. As we face trials, give us the strength to endure, looking to you for help. Lord, help us to not forget the resources that we have in Christ Jesus. Help us to not neglect our communion, the privileges that we have. Help us to not neglect your word. We thank you again, Lord, for your compassion and for your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.